Every week we go to the scriptures because it is there that the person and work of Christ are most clearly revealed. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 3, chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning to you uh, gathering online with us as well. Uh, My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, if we haven't met, we'd love to meet you after our, uh, after our gathering. If you want to learn from Jesus how to live the Christian life, uh, not, not so much how to become a Christian, but how to live as a Christian, uh, there's probably no better place uh, in the scriptures to turn than the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this famous teaching by Jesus in, in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew uh, that really unpack and unfold Uh, what it looks like to follow Christ. And so from now through Easter, uh, we're going to be taking a deep dive into these passages, into this Sermon on the Mount. But first, we're looking at a few passages that lead up into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Another one this week, one more next week. Passages that we have to rightly understand in order to not misunderstand the Sermon on the Mount. This week, uh, we're looking at the baptism of Jesus. And so let me, let me begin like this. You do not need to be a student of humanity to know that we all long for, desire for, hope for, live for uh, this love and approval from our fathers, this need for. It's an innate, instinctive desire and need within us to sense and to feel and to know the love and the approval of a father. Now, this is true whether you are seven or 70, and it is not inherently wrong or a sign that something is broken or off. Uh, I think Jesus longed for his Father's approval. It's why you see statements like, I'm here to do my Father's will. But here's the problem. Many of us, if not to a degree all of us, live with these residual wounds from not having, not sensing, not knowing the approval and love of our Father's. These are wounds that do not go away overnight. Uh, I have recently begun counseling, and in our third session, uh, the counselor opened the session like this. Hey, hey Brandon, here's what I'd like to talk about today. I'd like to talk about your dad, to which I said, or thought, yeah, I don't think so, man. Like, I've got a thousand issues. You've got most of them written down. Pick one other than that. These are not wounds that disappear overnight. They linger and last. And we know, many of us, again, if not all of us, 
that the pain of living your life, striving for, trying to earn and get the Father's love and approval of your parents and never actually having it can be crushing, can whittle away to the point of just being crushing. But in the baptism of Jesus, we find something profound about a Father's love for the Son, something that we need to see and be able to identify and then appropriate for us in order to rightly understand, apply, and live the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's jump into the text and get going. Here's the setting, here's the scene, verse 13. This is where this baptism begins. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, uh, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John, John the Baptist, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? All right, here's the setting. Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, who has been baptizing people in the Jordan. His baptism was, uh, it was known as a baptism of repentance. It was sort of a once-for-all act where you would purify yourself from your former way in view of this coming kingdom. And this happening in the Jordan River. Now, there is no river in the Bible more prominent than the Jordan River, and there are a few themes that emerge in the scriptures from the Jordan River and the way that the Bible uses it. Now, the, the, the first, most predominant of these themes is that Jordan is seen as a boundary, right? It's the boundary into what was known as the promised land. And so you have uh, beyond the Jordan, on this side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan, over the Jordan. And so this theme of crossing, of crossing over is the, the, the sort of, I, I would say, the most predominant theme that emerges in the scriptures from the use of the Jordan River. But there are other themes, in particular a theme of cleansing that emerges in the scriptures as well, both of which, crossing and cleansing, fed their understanding of baptism in this time. Both of which, cleansing and crossing, fed their understanding of baptism. Then the two centuries leading up to this, Ritual cleansings in the Jewish community had become uh, widespread, predominant. And they baptized Gentiles when they converted, when they crossed over from worshiping their God to the God of Israel. So you can understand uh, why this would have been confusing. What Jesus coming and saying, I need to be baptized by you, walking probably 70 miles to get to him, to say, hey, I need to be baptized by you, would have been a bit perplexing for him. So why did he do it then? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. That has to be such a striking little phrase in real time coming from Jesus himself. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So to understand this phrase by Jesus, let's zero in on the word fulfill. What does he mean by fulfill? Well, in the a, in a book of Matthew, the word fulfill here, it, it's used almost exclusively, almost exclusively of uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. A couple of exceptions right here and a few chapters later in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Point the way one commentator put it, that this denotes the coming into being of that which Scripture pointed forward. So here's what Matthew is saying. Here's what Matthew is saying. He's saying that 
that the Old Testament pointed to, prophesied about, predicted a future deliverance, a future deliverer, and that is happening now. It is beginning now, right before your very eyes, that future deliverance that the Old Testament prophesied about, it's happening now, which is why, if you notice our text, begins in the Jordan, and then uh, in chapter four, verse one that we read, where is Jesus led? Where is he led? Jordan to what? Okay, that was supposed to be for you guys. No problem, I'll give you the answer. Wilderness. Jordan into the wilderness. What does that sound like? The Exodus. Echoes of the Exodus right here in our text that Jesus was coming to bring about the true and greater Exodus to come the deliverance that the Exodus was a foreshadow of, it's beginning right here and right now. The delivering work of God, the saving work of God being brought into fulfillment right here and right now, unfolding before your very eyes. But none of which matters if Jesus is not the right man for the job, so is he? I'm obviously biased, but let's see if we can find it in the text. Verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So Jesus is baptized, the heavens open, Spirit descends and comes to rest on him. Now, I think it's an interesting question to ask why. Why, why the Spirit coming down and resting, coming to rest on Jesus here in this scene? I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask, well, was the Spirit not active and present in the life of Jesus beforehand? The answer is obviously yes, right? Remember virgin birth, born of the Spirit, literally, physically? The answer is obviously yes. And so what is going on right here? Well, here's what's going on. This descent of the Spirit coming to rest, these are messianic prophecies coming to life. A few of them in particular from Isaiah 11, 42, 61 where the Spirit would come down and come to rest upon God's chosen servant. These are messianic prophecies coming to life right here. And so here's what's going on. What we have is messianic imagery where Jesus is being identified as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one that was to come. The one who was going to bring about the deliverance that the people of God had waited for, longed for, hoped for. It's unfolding right here. And there is a bit of a commissioning, if, it may, if, I, if I could say it that way being commissioned out on his messianic mission from here, where the way it was just said a minute ago that Jesus would come and baptize with the Spirit, that one needs to be endowed with the Spirit in order to go and do so. There's an identification commissioning here of Jesus as the Messiah that was to come, the Savior that the world has been waiting for. Now, something else that I think is interesting and intriguing here is that this is the only place, or I should say Jesus' baptism is the only place where the Spirit is identified as a dove. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's keep reading verse 17. So he saw the Spirit descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, this really is a startling scene right here. I mean, this right here really is a startling scene. Jesus coming up out of the water, heavens opening. 
a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father opens his mouth, his voice speaks, and we get unmediated access into the father's view of the son. Unmediated access into what the father thinks of the son. Listen, this kind of access into a relationship between two people, I mean, Husbands and wives don't usually have this kind of open access that we get right here into what the Father thinks of the Son. This really is a startling scene, this window into the Father's heart for the Son, a picture of the Father's delight in His Son. And if I could pause the sermon for a minute and just sort of apply this a bit to us, parents, but fathers in particular, listen, Communicate your love and your delight in your children over and over and over again. You will be reflecting the Father's heart when you do so. Tell them often that you are proud of them, that you love being their mom, you love being their dad, that they are a delight and not a burden to you. And listen, when they get tired of hearing it, keep saying it. And they will. They will roll their eyes at you. And when they do, say it anyway. Keep saying it anyway. You are reflecting the Father's heart for the Son when you do so. Okay. There's more going on here than simply a window into the heart of the Father. This is also a statement about the Son. So there are two texts from the Old Testament sitting in the background of, of this scene here which bring us to, our, to answer our question, is he the right man for the job? Text one Psalm 2 says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, what's it about? It's about the messianic king to come. The Messiah that is to come. This messianic king that is coming. And then there's Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 42 is about the suffering servant, the same suffering servant that we looked at during Advent. So who is Jesus? Is he the right man for the job? Absolutely he is. He is the messianic king and the suffering servant, both coming to life right here in this scene. Both emerging from the baptism of Jesus, that he is the messianic king and the suffering servant that was on his way. Absolutely he is the right man for the job. He is the only one who could have been. He is the only one who could have brought about the exodus that the people of God waited for, longed for, desired for. He is the only one who could bring about that kind of salvation, that kind of deliverance. He is the only hope for Israel, for the nations, and for you. Listen, you, you can search all day long for this kind of deliverance in your job, in your family, in your bank, in your social media profile, in whatever you want to, and you will not find it. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who came and can bring about this kind of deliverance, the kind of deliverance that you and I and the world needs. That is it. He is the one. He is the one who came to deliver the nations and to deliver you and me. And how did he do it? Go back to verse 15 and what Jesus said about his own baptism. This is what he said. And his baptism was to fulfill all righteousness to fulfill all 
righteousness. What, what does that word righteousness mean? What is he talking about here when he says to fulfill all righteousness? Or maybe better, what, what would those who, who would have been listening sort of first century world when they, when they hear fulfill all righteousness, what, what would they have thought? Is there a text from the Old Testament that might have come to mind? Is there a person from the Old Testament who might have come to mind? What, what would they have thought? And the answer is the suffering servants again, but this time from Isaiah 53. Listen to Isaiah 53, 11, in light of Jesus' words about his baptism to fulfill all righteousness. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servants, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. What did Jesus come to do? He came as the righteous one to bear the iniquity of many to make the unrighteous righteous. To make the unrighteous righteous. When? Not in this baptism, but in a baptism that was to come the way Mark describes it. That this baptism would take place on the cross when Jesus wasn't plunged down into water, but he was plunged down into the wrath of God, plunged into the displeasure of the Father for you and for me. This baptism was a foreshadow of a baptism that was to come. And it's a, been a legitimate question for 2,000 years to ask, why was this baptism happening? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? And the answer was that he was identifying with his people. That in identifying with his people, he submitted to baptism as part of his work as the sin-bearing substitute, I quote. That Jesus' baptism pointed to a future baptism, a baptism on the cross where he would be plunged deep into displeasure for you. And in that baptism, the beloved son of God became an outsider so that outsiders could become beloved sons and daughters, which is what you are. In Christ, you are a beloved son or daughter of the Father. In Christ, sojourn, you are a beloved son or daughter of the Father. You are beloved. Listen to how the Bible speaks of you. These are verses about you. Listen to them. Remember, this is my beloved son. Now listen to the New Testament about you. Since we have these promises, beloved, 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, my beloved, Philippians 2. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Colossians 3. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, 2 Thessalonians. In your case, beloved, Hebrews 6. Now this is the second letter I am writing to you, beloved, 2 Peter 3. You, therefore, beloved, 2 Peter, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, 1 John, beloved, we are God's children now, 1 John, beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4. And if you want more, there are plenty more for you to go and find. Plenty more for you to go and find. This is who you are. This is who we are. Beloved. Beloved. Earlier I, I said that this is the only place in his baptism where the spirit descends or is depicted as a dove. 
lots of debate in the academic world as to why that is, but let me tell you what I, what I think confidently I can say is that one, it traces back to Noah and the dove that was sent out, and it traces back to creation. Because every commentator I could find agreed that in the backdrop of Jesus' baptism was Jesus bringing about a new creation. That the story of the Bible goes creation, sin enters the world, decreation, now Jesus bringing new creation into the world. And why do I bring this up? Because in the world that Jesus is bringing, you don't have to wonder if you are the beloved of God. In the world that Jesus is bringing, all of the wounds of never knowing the love of a father get healed and restored, mended. In the world that Jesus is bringing, you don't have to worry about, does God love me? You don't have to worry about, did that thing that I did mean that I am exiting the love of the Father anymore? In the world that Jesus is bringing, you hear the word beloved and you simply believe it. But that world, while it has broken in, it is not yet fully here and we live in a world where we wrestle with wonder and questions and doubts. Which is why we read the first verse of chapter four. Because it goes baptism, wilderness testing, wilderness temptation, wilderness trial. See, the pattern of Jesus' life is the pattern of ours. And here's the pattern, spiritual baptism, spiritual battle. That is the pattern. Spiritual baptism, spiritual battle. Remembering that you are in Christ, the Father's beloved. It's a battle. It is a battle. It will remain a battle. The Christian life is an ongoing spiritual battle, but it being a battle makes it no less true that you are the beloved of the Father in Christ. It makes it no less true. And here's why we wanted to see this as part of the foundation that we made our way into the Sermon on the Mount with. Because in order to live the teachings of Jesus, to embrace the teachings of Jesus, to have them sink deeply into our lives, our hearts, and then to go out and live them, it means that we have to see ourselves, understand that we are beloved, and therefore we go and try to live the teachings of Jesus. Not we go and live them in order to become the beloved of the Father. Listen, if you don't believe that you are the beloved of the Father, the Sermon on the Mount will crush you. If you are not living from the place of being beloved by God, the Sermon on the Mount will absolutely crush you. It will not feel like a joyous series. Oh, but if you are. If you see that in Christ, what the Bible says about you is true, that you are the beloved of God, then you can go. You can open this teaching from Jesus, you can appropriate it to yourself, apply it, and then go and live it with a smile on your face. Sojourn, you are the beloved of the Father. You are the beloved of the Father. Let's take a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Let's soak in the teachings of Jesus and let's try to live them because you are, not in order to become beloved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to open your word, to see the baptism of your son, to see what it says about him and then apply it to us 
May this lay a foundation for us as we make our way into his teaching that we know is a Sermon on the Mount. May we be able to apply it in light of being beloved, not in order to become. May it be a delight and bring about a smile. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to see that we are the beloved of yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.